Welcome back to Screenfish Radio. I'm so, so glad you could join us today. Episode 199. Episode 199 for Screenfish Radio. I'm so excited about this. Today, we are talking about The Little Mermaid. And I have my two of my favorite people here today to chat with us. I'm so glad to have Sheun Aloha Ake and Chris Utley. Welcome to you both. I, I am always thrilled to chat with you both. This is, I, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and as always, this podcast is rated S for spoilers. In case you're unaware, The Little Mermaid is the live action retelling of Disney's iconic animated property, which tells the story of Ariel, a young mermaid who makes a deal with a sea witch to trade her beautiful voice for human legs so she can discover the world above water and impress Prince Eric, the epic adventurer with whom she has fallen in love. As always, this podcast is rated S for spoilers. But uh, to you both, let's just jump in. What did you think of this version of The Little Mermaid? I loved it. I say loved, like I really actually loved it. I saw it twice in two weeks and I want to go see it again. Um, and one of the times I saw it was in 3D because I just wanted to experience what it was like underwater. What, was it better? No, it didn't feel <laughs> that different. <laughs> it felt the same. There were some moments where it was like, oh, like someone threw a spear and like I dodged. But that was it. Um, but I really like the film. I think, like, I wrote in my review that this is my best live action remake that Disney's done. And I think probably all of us are tired of the remakes, like, before this even came about. But I think I like this one specifically. Yeah. But you, now you are a big fan of the original. Yes. So now, I, for myself, I was, it's not that I didn't like it. I just was 12 when it came out. So I'm dating myself. Uh, and I, I just had a different experience. I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I was at that age. I didn't really care about it, but I know you loved it. Yeah. So that's a lot to live up to. How do you think it compared? I was thinking what's today. I actually, I see them as two different films which is interesting. Like, I think the first time I watched this version, I was comparing it to the original, especially the songs, like Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl. I was like, oh, that sounds different. I don't like that. Um, But in terms of the story and the plot, like it's obviously a retelling, but this really, I think, sets itself apart from the original. And so I don't necessarily look at them as the same film. They're two different films in my mind. Interesting. Okay. All right. Christopher, I always love having you on too. What, uh, what'd you think? Hey, my whole fully pronounced Christian name. Lovely. Bit of history as your resident screenfish. What am I? And what, what did I name myself? Film analyst. Film analyst. Everyone forgets in Really, nobody ever brought this up in the press releases, which was interesting. But the original Little Mermaid came at a time when Disney was looked at, looked upon as small potatoes, and it has been as a company. They were still in that vein of holding on and shepherding to their animated classics with their plan to just keep releasing, re-releasing them all every seven years to theaters. Thinking that if we just see Snow White, Bambi, Dumbo, um, Pinocchio every seven years, that will whet our appetite and that will give us all the fuels for those Disney classics. Meanwhile, the company was taken over by the late Michael Eisner, who positions Jeffrey Katzenberg to run the um, film department for Disney. And Jeffrey Katzenberg's uh, mission job one is to restore the glory and the luster of the animated unit. Because at the time, um, prior to Little Mermaid, 
they tried to revive it, but the stuff kind of crashed and burned. You get stuff like the Black Cauldron that wouldn't go anywhere. The sequel to the Rescuers that didn't go anywhere. Um, Oliver and Company did yep. great. Just stuff like that. So the Little Mermaid was like their big swing of the fence to try to return to glory. And it hit and it hit big. And because of the Little Mermaid, that's why you've got Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King, and all the whole bumper crop of the new animated Disney classics that has helped to propel that film unit to what it is now. Bottom line, you don't buy Lucasfilm, you don't buy Marvel, you don't have Disney Plus, you don't do any of that without the success of the original Little Mermaid that was diffused that let that whole nuclear warhead of Disney success. So it's interesting that in this, their centennial year flashy logo to start the film and everything, they went back to the live action retelling of the one that kickstarted their fires back in 89. So interesting thing to note there from a film analyst perspective. And they doubled down on that with their choice of Halle Bailey, an African-American female lead. And as far as film content and how it was and what it was, I too saw it twice. I appreciated it the second time around. First time I saw it, I thought it dragged a little bit in the middle, but watching it again the second time, I was like, okay, they strung together a pretty decent and coherent story. Um, the hero is a hero. Melissa McCarthy, who is one of my women crushes, lover, lover, lover. Um, she was a good Ursula. Um, Founder was cute. Sebastian was cute. I forget the bird's name, but Aquafita um, as that bird. Um, Seeing Sebastian uh, voiced by David Diggs from Hamilton. Um, They had a good rapport and a good banter back and forth. So it was enjoyable. I don't know if it's going to hit that pantheon of remake, you know, animated to live action all-time classic just on a film level but the impact is sitting in other places and we'll get to that as we discuss further so that's my initial thought yeah i i have to admit that i thought there's no way it was going to be good um i found like their greatest successes for these live actions things and and like you Shay, i don't think anybody's really looking forward to them anymore in the same way i think i've accepted them as reality so it's sort of like okay it's the next one um but to- I mean, what's left to do i mean i know snow white's coming but uh, you can't really- live action bambi you can't live action Fantasia without a $500 million budget. Yeah, they were working on Hunchback and that fell through because they said it's too dark. And, oh, God, uh, that would be the most boring thing ever. I love that animated film, but that's another story. Yeah. They're working on Hercules. I know that's another one. But but again, like, see, I think I they, their live action ones to me that the great been the greatest successes have been the ones that you remember the least. On the on the whole, like Jungle Book. Um, Jungle Book was fire. Jungle Book was really good. I think Beauty and the Beast was good. Okay, see, this is what I, Beauty and the Beast was good, but the Golden Years ones, I think they've really struggled. This is well, not Aladdin, no, because a a slap aside. (laughs) You know, I had to go there. uh, Sure, sure. Aladdin was. Was doggone fantastic. I was stunned at how good Aladdin was. But but of the four, and uh and I would it's say four? 
of the of the big four: Lion King, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King was trash, and Aladdin. They, yeah, but like this, that's sort of the 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 big four. After that's Pocahontas, yeah. and then the and then Mulan, and then the 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 Golden Age sort of gave away to like the animated Silver Age, which was not like they weren't they weren't the ones that people reference, right? So those were the four most important ones. And and I think Aladdin was the best one because they took a few risks. The Lion King was because uh, before you get to Lion King, remember Aladdin was all about there's no way you can duplicate Robin Williams. He is genie. Period. Bringing Will Smith is just going to be a fail by comparison. But then they flipped it and let Will be Will, his interpretation of genie. And that was absolutely the thing that made it work. I agree 100%. That, and that's actually what I'm saying. They took some risks while still, it was still Aladdin. We knew what it was. We enjoyed it. We liked the songs, but it wasn't quite the same. The Lion King was deadly dull. And and part of it is like they slept through, a re- it felt like they were sleeping through a reading of the script from 1994 and the animation was atrocious. You're exactly right. And yet the... It's like I, the edit the because I get personal because Lion King to me is the greatest animated feature ever. It's phenomenal. I don't care what you got. Favorite You know, Spider Verse might be number two. We're talking about Spider Verse, um, but um, you cannot sit. I mean, to sit there, it it literally was you know watching an emotionless, vaporless. Oh, I just can't wait. To be king. <laughs> I was like, really? No. This is not my Simba with all the life and all the joy in his face. No. No. As you said, it was just dry. It was just stale. It was just there. I don't understand why that movie made so much daggone money. Because <laughs> it's The Lion King, which I heard that they're talking about turning yeah, it into- No, they are doing... Um, the origin story, Mufasa. They are, but I hope they're talking about making more. Doing, or doing what? more of them. Yeah, no, I know. I, I didn't hear about stuff after that. I know that Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight, is doing Mufasa. The really? origin story of Mufasa. Live action style. Barry Jenkins? Look at Shayu's face. I feel like I just traumatized you. I'm sorry. They're like, what? Yes, Barry Jenkins is working on um, Mufasa now. Well, see, okay, and so you've got these two ends of the spectrum, and Beauty and the Beast to me is smack in the middle because it has its moments that I think are just wonderful, and then it has other things where I was just like, sure. And at the time, I liked it, but the more I've seen it, the more I'm like, it's it's fine. Um, but it didn't, it, it's not one I sit there and say they crushed it. So Lion, with Little Mermaid, it, it's such an iconic property. I was waiting for it to, be, and I was like, it's, they're going to have to play it so safe that I was afraid it was going to end up like the Lion King is exactly what I thought. But how are you going to play it safe with a black girl as a mermaid and time to rip the bandaid off? Those segments of the population in their nonsensical outcry and outrage. If you want to talk about the taking risks, Disney took the biggest risk of them all by going with Halle Bailey and her beautiful soprano voice and her dark skin in that role. Like if they wanted to play it safe, they would have threw a whole bunch of money at Beyonce's daughter, Blue Ivy or something. Or Zendaya or, you know, somebody like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but, and this is what I mean. So this, I think to me, this version managed to capture the magical moments that it needed to, but it took some risks beyond Halle Bailey. And even though she's front and center, 
there's a number of risks that make it interesting to me, you know, other than flounder. Uh, flounder was a risk that did not make it interesting to me. <laughs> although, although Trombley did a good job, the voice, uh, voice, uh, his voice works good. It's a horrifying look at a fish, but I mean, it's uh, isn't that kid like sixteen or something now? Yeah, but it didn't matter for this. He's he's you know his voice. I mean, he he voiced himself all the way back down to sound like a kid. He recorded so. it when he was much smaller, and then he aged while they were editing. <laughs> so oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. So he had, they got him just before puberty, is what I'm yeah. hearing Shay say. Oh, okay. So they just got him in that window. <laughs> Let's go, Ariel. Let's go, Ariel. Oh, we can't do a second tape. Take. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to splice together cuts from all his old movies. Like they, right. they stitched together his lines from Room. To... <laughs> <laughs> it's just a mad, mad job in the editing room. He didn't have to do any recording at all. It was all him at the age of nine. And... <laughs> But no, I actually thought it was I, I was very impressed. And and to me, the the new things they added felt relevant. Like they didn't just throw in a bunch of things. I will say, as much as I loved the new songs, like I thought I thought the Prince Eric song and the and the Ariel song were great. I thought the uh the scuttlebutt song was adorable but i was like it sounded a little to me this is just to me sounded more modern because it was modern it sounded because emmanuel miranda is one of the songwriters and he's billed as one of the producers in the film no i know i, I totally know. knew that was his song yeah it sounds like it sounds, it, it like, sounds like it sounds like something that you might have had the structure from hamilton but he didn't make the final cut so he repurposed it for this one but he also wrote the other new song, like the lyrics anyway, of the other songs as well, which sound different. Because I'm always like defending him because I really like women over on that. I feel I like wasn't hating on him, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. the Scuttlebutt yeah. song totally is a dead giveaway to that's him. Yeah, it's very signature, Limano. Yeah. Uh, and and I like I, I actually really like this. All I'm saying is that of the of the three new songs, the two ballads fit to me fit the the way that the music went better yeah. but i thought the scuttlebutt song's adorable it's fun it's like it's a it's a great scene i have no i have no beef with it i could just tell it i could tell more easily that it was a, a more modern more modern song the other ones sort of fit the pattern stupid question from a 50 year old man who hasn't seen the little mermaid since 1989 what was the other ballot that's new for this one. I know I, I pretty much caught the Prince Eric one. But what's the other new one? I don't know what it's called. Um, oh, you would. We seen. We seen. Well, the first time when she's when she gets on land and she's singing in her head. Yes. That's new. Yeah. I didn't even catch that it was new. I assumed that it was part of the original. So there you go. No, that's clearly the "Please Give Us an Oscar" song. That's what it. That that was the. <laughs> Please give us an Oscar. I know uh, I gotta remember that song, Nation. But okay. Sorry, Disney. Right now it's between that and Peaches with Jack Black or the two nom Oh, nom Peaches better win. No contest. <laughs> Came over. We'll go ahead. Well, I, I what I'd like to know from you both, it's interesting as we're having this conversation, like we I, obviously now Disney is not going to stop until they run out of like live actions to remake, which is why Moana is the experiment because the rule was nothing after 2000, although they're doing Lilo and Stitch as well. But like Moana was like, is like seven years old and they're redoing it. But Mike, I guess so. You already know Frozen's coming in 2030. Just brace yourselves. I would be a grandparent taking my kid to see live action, let it go. Once they do frozen three i yeah. think they'll do it like because they, they this this franchise isn't over yeah. there's no way it's over the cast themselves you live action frozen 2030 book it whoever is the biggest pop star in the world at the time that's who the heck singing let it go 
Someone we don't know yet. She may be 11 years old, but that's who's going to be singing Let It Go eight years. And we'll be hearing stories about how she sat in The Little Mermaid in 2023 and she with, with a single tear streaming down her eye saying, one day that's going to be me. There it is. But, okay, so I have to ask you both what you think of this idea because the truth is this isn't these things aren't going away. But is it necessary to do this? And I don't mean in general, because I think in general, we would say, well, I can't say speak for you. I would say in general, probably not. But with The Little Mermaid, was it necessary uh, to do it? Or was it a more obvious cash grab to you this way that The Lion King was? Don't everybody talk at once. Necessary? Nah. But again, I don't think it was a, if, if if it was a crack if it was a cash grab, then it would have been Ariana Grande, Doja Cat, or whomever playing Ariel. I don't know any pop stars nowadays, you know. If they really wanted like super mega crash cash grab, they could have thrown forty million dollars at Taylor Swift and said go. This will wipe the memory of cats from everyone's memory. And then we'd be sitting there talking about Little Mermaid Crushes Memorial Weekend with a $225 million opening because everybody would have gone just to see Taylor. That's cash grab. What they did from top to bottom, we were talking about Aladdin. I think they were trying to significate I think what they were trying to signify again, this is their centennial is that we were stepping into borrowing the song from Aladdin A Whole New World because they didn't just quad double down, triple down, quadruple down. They threw everything with the kitchen sink to really say what they're having to say with the multiracial, multi-ethnic mermaids with Javier Bardem, Spanish actor, as King Triton. With, because um, you go with the trope and the prince and, you know, Prince Eric, but his mom the queen was black. That made me jump in the back of my seat the first time sitting in the theater. Like, what? And the trusted heir was because um, it's a trip because I, I, I don't want to get his um, ethnic background wrong, but that actor, I remember he was the bad guy in Schwarzenegger's True Lies in 94, playing uh, Middle Eastern, playing a Middle Eastern heavy who was trying to nuke Florida. But he's the, but he's the trusted conciliary of the queen. We have all these different images and all these different pockets. And when they're on land, it's a total festival is celebration of all these different pops of color, not just in the attire, not just in the scenery and the backgrounds, but in the people. It's a whole completely different world. And it's trying, and to me, I think what they were trying to say is, this is who we are as a people. This is globally what the world looks like. And we're choosing this particular film, this beloved classic, to represent and present what the world looks like today. Not your imagined clung to fantasies of 1989 and times before what the Little Mermaid was, what America was, what the world was back then. This is the world right now. And how could it be a cash grab 
if they made those choices. If they took if they were willing to take the risks, as you mentioned before, Steve. I think, yes, sir. I was just because I was thinking about your question before, and I was like, yeah, I think I honestly feel like all their remakes, like just the fact that they're remaking stuff is cash grabby. Um I yes, I think I've a lot of us have been looking forward to more original stuff from Disney, or at least more investment in the original stories, um, rather than just the remakes. But then what you're saying, Chris, I think is a good point too. Like it's a different perspective, especially thinking about like like TV shows and stuff like that that uh take comic book characters, for example, and then make them into TV shows. Now I know like I'm a big Flash fan. And I know like when they uh cast Iris West as a black woman, there was a lot of backlash about that too. And I was always thinking about it, like, well, these characters existed like, I don't know, 60s, 50s, maybe um America where the people who are creating the stories only knew one kind of life. <laughs> this is what I know. This is what I'm going to make. Um, and then now that you grow as a brand and you're more global and the country grows, the world grows and everybody becomes more interconnected. Then when you are creating stories for a more global audience, especially if you want to retell it. So the fact that you're retelling the story in 2023, I think then you kind of have to take that into account of who you're telling the story to. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see that perspective too. And I think you're right. There is risk in that because we're also saying, I don't know if this is really true, but I'm saying like, it's not doing so well abroad because people are, I don't know what's going on, but it's like, there's yeah. that thing of Disney isn't really making as much money as they could be if they went in a different direction. Yeah, the notable story on that is that, um, particularly what they said, Korea and Asia, um, the movie's pretty much dead on arrival and it's getting crushed, and they're attributing it to the backlash of Halle Bailey in the lead role. You see, this that that's a really interesting point, and I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of this film, but not just this film, where we're where we're sort of at in our storytelling. And I think there are times, I'm not gonna lie, I think there are times when a character change uh, shouldn't be done because it's not part of the character you're trying to tell. So for example, uh, with James Bond, part of the conversation is who can it, who can it be? And then the conversation is, shouldn't it be a woman? And it was Daniel Craig made an interesting point saying, James Bond, it intrinsic to his character is this conversation around masculinity. So you can't just make him a woman. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Jane Bond. Um, now, Superman, he grew up in Kansas, but he wasn't from a white family. There's no reason that his ethnicity is necessar necessarily tied to his his story in that way. In fact, it could make an interesting news story. Like when they did the Red Sun storyline, I think it was called, when he grew up in communist Russia, to change that element changes who he is. Well, uh, put, put a pin in that one if they ever finish the Ta-Nehisi Coates, Michael B. Jordan one they're working on. Yes. Now, could could he be Clark Kent? I think he could. Does he have to be a different character? No, I don't think he does. I, I think I think he would be, like, be a black like Michael, Yeah, Michael B. Jordan as Clark Kent would be something else. Because that's a whole other element of disappearing act that comes into the mix. Yeah. If I'm just blunt and honest with you. Yeah, and, and that's exactly my point. It's like, but the character of Clark Clark Kent, it's not necessitated race in in that particular in that particular way mm -hmm. with ariel she's a mermaid <laughs> like uh, but to but, that point before you can go there the detractors and the haters start going back to hans christian anders in what way 
which Their whole... way, it was fascinating that they opened with a Hans Christian Andersen quote. I was like, that is dark way to to figure. Anyway, go on, finish your thought. I mean, Hans Christian Andersen wrote the original story. Yes, because. Bro. And so maybe they're assuming that if it's a white writer, then they're already making assumptions that the character is that. And so they're, I'm just speaking for them out loud, spitballing. Maybe they're saying that they're compromising the vision of the original writer by going this route. I don't know. Well, uh, well, I'm, guessing. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. I thought you were done. You can finish your I thought. just said I'm guessing. Well, in the, in the original Hans Christian Andersen, when she gets her feet... Uh, I believe it describes every step she takes as though she had nails pin or she was stepping on nails. So these Hans, they, they already took creative licensing when they make this, like the Frozen was adapted from a Hans Christian Andersen. It has nothing to do with Hans Christian Andersen. But see, this is what I'm saying. Nostalgia, nostalgia can be a killer. And and this type of story. So we see. Well, well, Ariel didn't look like that when I was ten. Um, so what have they done? But they haven't done anything, because it's not necessary to the character for any particular race. Well, they did, but they didn't. They did, but they didn't. What What do you mean? Story still the same. The heroes, the villains are still the same. None of that's ever changed. You're exactly right on that point. But what they did again was in the restructuring and in the recentering. The trailer that's run before the film starts, at least in my theater, was for the next upcoming Disney animated property, which is supposed to be called Wish. And in that trailer, they talk about from studio who brought you, and they list six of the 12,000 titles. Comes a story a century in the making. And I start thinking about that. Think about that as I'm watching this. For an entire century, every time this story has been told, who has been the main players? Every single time. Every single time. Every single time. With the exception of Encanto and Coco and other stories here and there. But when you go to the classic lexicon of or icon iconography of Disney stories, who's always been the center? Get ready, Steve. You're gonna call Screenfish Woke after this. White people. White characters. Top to bottom, up and down, everything in between. An exception over here and an exception over there. So every time mainstream audiences have gone to see animated storytellers about human beings, who have they seen? Someone who represents that mainstream image. But again, now you have it flipped. So it's the same classic story, like you're saying. But now we're presenting this particular story, and it's not us in the center. And the, from their perspective, I would imagine. And the only time you see us is in the guise of the hero and the guys on the ship at the beginning dancing trying to catch the mermaid, but actually it's a dolphin, and then the ship shipwrecks, and you don't see us anymore for the whole rest of the story. 
I would imagine that would be a little crazy. When you were so used to seeing yourself, your image, your likeness portrayed as the center of every one of these stories. And now you're not. I can celebrate. I would imagine Shay, you're celebrating. Because you're like, yeah, right on. Other people probably are struggling. That's all I'll say. Right. And I mean, I, I, I can see that. I agree with you. I, I, what drives me nuts though, in these conversations, not in these conversations, but when I, when, when people express their frustration about it is this is such a healthy change. <laughs> like this is, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't negatively affect the story or the character because, but it actually gives it new life and share it almost actually and, and again maybe i'm i i don't know do you, i, I want to hear what shay thinks about this but i feel like it's sharing the story that we've been told in a different way with everybody i stay with everybody i don't I, shay what do you think about all this you wrote it you wrote about it for us yes. review it's interesting because I like I told somebody the reason I like this film isn't because there's a black lead in it. Like I don't necessarily think it's not the first thing that drew me to the film, if that makes sense. Like I, I that's an included thing, but it's not the primary thing. And I always think about this, it's I don't know, it's very it's very strange because I grew up like in Nigeria with Nigeria is predominantly black, <laughs> all of us are black. Um but I grew up watching all the Disney stuff so all the Little Mermaids, Pocahontas, Cinderella, all of them um, and I never noticed and this might be because I didn't have any reference point for other races around me but I never noticed that the characters were different from me really Um, I was just like oh that's a girl I'm a girl too and I and that was just it Um, I think it's moving here that I'm beginning to understand um the impact of that on other people who have a different relationship to race than I did growing up so yeah but I also I really like like the the cultural infusion is that the word? like the infusion of culture into this movie I thought it made it more interesting so things like setting it even in like a Caribbean location as opposed to in Europe and making Eric adopted i know some people were angry about that too but i thought it was very interesting and i thought it was again when you're thinking of retelling the story in 2023 you're thinking of who your audience is i think that's a good way to reinvent it and make it more relatable for people who'll be watching it so yeah i really like that too about it are you ready for the theories because there's going to be theories mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for six months from now, or even six weeks from now, when TikTok says that Eric is actually the bro the long lost oh. brother of uh, Elsa mm -hmm. and Anna because the parents were on the ship and they crashed. <laughs> That's it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. It has to be like a live action Disney. Well, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um that's no but that's interesting yeah it, it um it, it's so even even though it's funny like we talk about Halle Bailey and I know Chris wanted to talk about this but all the mermaids are from everywhere mm -hmm. and Trident I, I I have to say having um oh forgive me what's his name playing King Triton um Javier Bardem I Javier Bardem yeah i i had to laugh because whenever i see bardem there's always a small part of me that hears him saying hello friendo like, call it friendo, call it friendo. <laughs> and i'm like oh man man i didn't realize that uh, king triton triton has a dark edge but i mean he had uh <laughs> 
Like all of his daughters are from everywhere. Like I said, that was a Disney move, I think. Well, you want to talk about the finale. So why don't you, what was it you were going to say about the finale, Chris? Pretty much said about the finale, what I said about the whole entire thing. I think that was such a statement. And I really think the film as a whole was just a huge, large, and sweeping statement because the whole crux of it is can the world of the sea and the world of the land coexist, come together, and live together? Which is kind of where we're at in the world. Can these different worlds, can these different factions over here come together in share space and live together and the notion from the patriarchy and the matriarchy who was steeped and dwelled in the past and saying, no, we can't. It just ain't gonna work. So now the next generation says, nope, let's come together. Because even Eric's whole backstory is he's not just on these ships relunking to trade to gain treasure. He's not trying to be his own version of Jack Sparrow. He's trying to go explore the world to see how he can bring the world into his community to try to make a difference. I think he mentions that he's exploring ways to try to impact health in other aspects of that community. And his mom's trying to keep him grounded and saying, nope, your responsibility is here to just prepare to be the king when, you know, he's like, nah, I want more than that. And look at Ariel with uh, King Triton going back and forth, you know, um, there's a whole world out there in her belief that they're not a threat. Somehow we can bridge these two communities. And in that final uh, moment of the film, when you see these two communities finally pop up, the mer people coming up out of the water, and it's every creed, it's every color, it's every face imaginable, merging in the people of the land, as they just saw them go, I'm just sitting there like, wow. This is the future. This is where we are trying to go. This is the direction that I believe um, if we can make this work and find a way to bridge all these different pieces of connected tissue, this is where we're headed. And when you look at Disney's company battle that's happening in Florida, you have that sector who's saying, no, we need to revert back to the past to where we push away and isolate because these outside forces are a threat to us. So... Let's ban stuff. Let's not use certain descriptors of people and individuals now. Because if we let, if we make them part of our world, they're going to corrupt us. They're going to denigrate us. They're going to drag us down. But I don't believe that's the case. If we include, if we draw in, if we embrace, which by the way, is our Christ-like duty last time I checked. What kind of world could we have? What kind of people could we be? In that last image, to me, was just a striking and overwhelming sense of hope as I saw it, and it's like, whoa, I have to speak on this. I have to speak on this. Sorry I didn't write you a review, but I did have to speak on this. This is more fun than writing, by the way. It is. Because <laughs> you, you gave me, well, 
yeah, I won't self-publicize, but yeah. But I knew I had to speak on it. Well, you know, it, I like what you're saying. I like, I like what you're saying here. To me, to me, it was a party movie that everybody was invited to. And I think that it was sort of really everybody was invited. It was it wasn't one person's party and said, oh, well, if you it was just everybody's party. Um, but one of the one of the lines that they added that I thought was really interesting is uh, you shouldn't have to give up your voice to be heard. Um, I was wondering to you both what you think of what what why was that line so important to be included i mean they had 45 minutes so they had a whole lot of lines that were included in this thing but but that one really stuck out as they really sort of hit that one what why do you think that one was such an important one for this particular film i forget who says it i'm gonna look that up that's kane Triton at the end of the that's film right. As he sends them off to their journey. After all this happened, he's seen the air of his ways, and that was his mea culpa. I'm intentionally yielding to you, Shaq, because I've been talking for the last 10 minutes. It I, meant nothing. <laughs> it, I think, like, the only thing I can think of, and I don't know if somebody else has something else to say, but, like, I think that, first of all, like, when I heard the line in the movie, it's it's it sounded like it was kind of like a piece of advice to the audience, especially if they're young kids watching. But then I'm trying to think of what it would look like to give up your voice to be heard. And I'm, I don't know how exactly. Um, oh, I got an answer for Steve's gonna get in trouble. I got an answer. I'm gonna get in trouble again. They're gonna call Screenfish woke because it is podcast. You're gonna get canceled. Oh, Chris, no one watches this. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. When you start talking about the litany of the African American experience our sisters who are fighting to retain their rights in this country, our LGBTQ um, brothers and sisters who are fighting there for their rights. How many times have all of us people of color and in so many different marginalized groups have been told Give up your voice, fit in, play the role, be silent, even in the Christian community. Give up your voice, just play the role, do the dance, assimilate, and everything will be all right. Because of what happened in America three years ago at this time, I had to leave the church because I didn't use my voice the whole first three years I was at this church to really speak about my experiences as a black man in America. I didn't use my voice. I was silent and I just played the role. I went to church. I shook hands, I hugged people, knowing that they really did not understand my fears of being a black man living in Texas. Before George Floyd. Then all that happens. I use my voice, I speak my voice. I lost friendships, I lost church. I lost brotherhood, I lost sisterhood, and I had to go get whisked into a whole new world of people who gave me the space and the place to where my voice could be spoken and I could be heard. 
again, not just centering us as black people, how many women have had their voices silent because of their support for their rights. Think of our brothers and sisters who could not come out to their families and their communities because they felt they had to bottle that in and close and hold that secret to be silent. And once they lifted up their voice to be heard and say, this is who I am, think of all the losses that they have taken. You being ostracized, being put out of churches, being put out of families. That's what I think of when I hear that line. Then I think that's like my, there's some irony in there with the quote itself, because like saying you don't have to give up your voice to be heard. If you give up your voice, you're not going to be heard anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like what you're saying, Chris, about people saying, oh, like keep your voice down or don't say anything and then everything will be fine. There's, there's still not hearing you if, if you if you don't say anything. So there's that thing of like, yeah, like there's, I don't think there's- That's literally what happened to, you know, Ariel in the film. Right. Her whole thing is her voice. Right. Yeah, that, that's the one thing that will identify to Eric. Maybe it's you. And she lost that. And King Triton saying at the end, this man was the love is the love of your life, clearly evident. Boom. You should not have had to sacrifice and surrender your voice for this man to see you, know you, and love you. That is the world that we created that put you in this position in the first place. It never shouldn't have happened. This is a fairy tale love story. But how many times have we seen derivatives and variants of that in our world? I'll even take it one step further. I think that some of the, to me, that line speaks as much to the changes in Kiss the Girl as it does to uh, the rest of the film. Because some of these subtle changes are designed to uh, empower Ariel's character, but also like we also talked about the 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 racial spreading, of course, and uh, throughout the film. But I mean, the changes to kiss the girl are subtle, but they wanted to make it less. Hey, man, just go in. Just kiss her, you know, just just do it and make it more consensual yeah. and, and 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 try and empower that moment. And even her their relationship is empowered more in this one. It's more it's more broad. That's like my main focus of this movie, to be honest. Yeah. Their relationship. Yeah. Because when I watched it, this is the, yeah, this is the reason I think why I like this film is because I I'm a big fan of the original Eric. And I think even like there's a big thing that they changed in this film, but something he did in the original where he kills Ursula. And when I was growing up, I was like, oh, like he was my favorite Disney prince because of that. Because I thought the others just didn't do anything. And I was like, they're just there. But like Eric is active. Um, and they changed that in this film. And I watched this film and I didn't, it didn't bother me because I think the way the story played out made sense to the story. But I like that they brought Ariel and Eric on this kind of like equal playing field where they both have the same interests, but also like they they understand something about a world that the other doesn't, if that makes sense. So Ariel knows what's going on underwater. Eric knows what goes on on land, but he wants to kind of go towards the ocean and she wants to come up on land. So they have, they both have something to offer the other and they are able to learn from each other, which I like for me, that was the, biggest thing I was like, oh this is good I think to see and for kids to even see like this is what like a real partnership is um so that was a big big thing for me and sorry I'll say this also because I've heard people speaking about how 
they took away Eric's agency and they made him like a doormat or whatever. I don't know. Um, I don't really? think I see that. Case. I know. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Um, I I was I was thinking about that too. I was like, I think there's this thing of like, oh no, the man has to be the hero because that's what men do. I don't know. Oh, like, they're saying they're mad because Eric wasn't your traditional chiseled jawed alpha male Disney hero. Because uh, Ariel is the one who kills Ursula in this one instead of Eric. You're like, well, she saved him twice. And he's supposed to save her the second time. <laughs> that kind of like discussion. But like, I think we're missing, if we think about like masculinity and like heroism as those big moments of like, I don't know, something big like murder. I don't know, <laughs> like defense. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and we miss like the little moments where like, I think like Eric is being a good leader and like he's listening to his people and taking care of them. There's things like that I think are good personality, personality traits to have as someone who is a leader, as someone who is in charge that some people overlook because it doesn't seem as strong and I think I like that they made Eric this way in this film where I think he's a leader and he's the one who cares about the people he's taking care of and that's strong enough and it's okay that Ariel saves him twice it doesn't make him less strong you know what I mean yeah you know I'll I'll speak to that too because in I would suggest that in most Disney princess films not Disney films, Disney princess films, the prince is kind of a silent chump who does the killing and has no personality anyway, especially the early ones. Like what, what personality does Prince Charming have in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? He doesn't. He just kills, you know, kills the witch or whatever. If I remember, I can't remember. Didn't, how it actually, didn't Oh, no, she falls off a cliff, but he kills. He doesn't prince, do anything. The prince kills Maleficent in, in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. But again, I like, favorite because of that Prince Philip. I like Eric and Philip because they did something. Yeah, but like that that's what they do. They don't say anything and they're there. They're the men. And then they so you know, men are mostly chumps, violent chumps. And uh I thought in this one, I thought Eric was a pretty fleshed out, you know, 20 something. <laughs> <laughs> prince who who had some positive goals i thought you know what I, I, i'm on board with this guy <laughs> um but it, you know it's funny like what you're saying there shay i think says as much about giving voice as we've said before in some ways in some ways of what we said before because i think Ariel, Ariel speaks up for herself in so many ways and, and is valued for those reasons. Like she's highly intelligent and she's valued for that. Um, it's she, I mean, whereas in the original, and again, I'm, you know, I don't know the original inside and out. I've seen it multiple times, but I, I couldn't, you know, uh, remember it chapter and verse but ariel and to my best of my knowledge is she washes up on shore has dinner with the family and then kiss the girl and then and then ursula shows up and it's sort of like oh she's the well she and they cut out the line that says you'll still have your your don't underestimate the power of body language and i thought dang they really are hitting home on the positive aspects of of womanhood empowering that's an important line to drop to me and and i love that line in the original because the way she hits it the way ursula hits that line is just fantastic but but they drop it intentionally from this film and i think you know from everything you were saying before chris and everything you're saying shay i think to me, that's what really hit with the line because you shouldn't have to give up your voice to be heard. I think there's so many different ways that characters in this film are given a voice. Um, and Ariel, uh, Ariel communicates so well without being able to speak in this version. Um, whereas in the original, it's it's a major hindrance. You know, it's just like it's a big deal. Um, the deep part about that, the more that I think about it, as you guys talked about it, 
it made him earn her love. He didn't just show up, and there she was, and I'm the man. Look at me. You want to kiss me? <laughs> oh. It wasn't that kind of party at all. That whole day that they spent together was a courtship. Was a courtship. In real life, that would have been spread out over the course of a few weeks. But they crammed it all in a day because we've only got two hours, 15 minutes of run time before they got a sweet popcorn. But, um, yeah. This was love that had to be earned. Which, in retrospect, kind of makes it fall flat and seem not really believable that he would just drop Ariel because he heard the siren song. Well, I even have a thing about that. Cause okay. You can feel a bit obsessed. <laughs> I, when I watched it the second time, when um, Vanessa, that's her name, Ursula's human form, when she's like at the party, they have the engagement stuff, Eric is walking around looking for Ariel. And I'm like, this man is under yeah. He's still like, have you seen Ariel? And I think, <laughs> I'm like, that's true. Though. He's like, his heart is still calling for her. <laughs> but yeah. I think in his like subconscious, he was still like, no, I still like Ariel. Well, and, and that would have been a greater ending if he came to show the ring and he was like, you know what? It's something about you. I just can't. I'm in love with Ariel. That would have been a greater, that would have been a greater take. And then Ursula just would have kind of went postal and revealed herself. And then, you know, that would have been the bolder take than just the cat fight, rip off the brooch, and then she gets her siren back. Mm -hmm. So hindsight's 2020, and what our film critics, nothing but armchair movie directors. <laughs> this is a great play. I, I'm loving this conversation. I think it's fantastic, but it, it, I think it may be time to screen it or skip it. So. The Little Mermaid, 2023. Screen it or skip it. Screen it. But I was going to say, depending on who you are, I don't know if that makes sense. I think some people will like this more than other people. And it is a kid's movie, but I really loved it. So screen it. Uh, who are the people that shouldn't go see No Getting Out? I shouldn't, but I think, I think like there's <laughs> guys. I don't know. I always just imagine some like guys being like, I don't care. It's a fair comment. It's a fair comment. For every beautiful young black feminine child, for any child of color who believes in their heart that they are a princess who brought all the movies, who brought all the um, Disney princess garb and play dress up, imagining that they were one of those heralded Disney princesses screen it if for no other reason to say this is your time this is your moment to see yourself screen it but I will say and this to me is the highest compliment I can give it if you are a fan of the Little Mermaid it is absolutely worth a screen it because it's quality and it's a quality I mean, I I expected that the music would be good. I expect I've heard I heard Halle Bailey on a few clips before I came out. Um, I expected some of the visuals would be would be good. I you know I didn't think, but I thought that it was uh, a film that lived up to the legacy of the original and charted a bit of a new one. Mm -hmm. Um, at which I think is what makes these things work. If we're gonna, if if Disney's gonna give us the same ones, they've got to give something to it that that really, really makes it hit. And I think this one hits. I, I really say that with, with love and affection. I think it's I think it's very well done. Um, I want to see a sequel of like Eric and Ariel exploring the oceans. 
You want to see them run into Moana and the crossovers begin. That's <laughs> talk it's about the, your cash grabs. The Disney live action cinematic universe. Yep. <laughs> Coming. Totally. <laughs> Lilo and Ariel. Um <laughs> I Well Wreck It Ralph intimated that. Wreck-It Ralph, the second one, when they had the princess sleepover. So, here you go. That's your template. Thank you both so much. I love our conversations. I appreciate you both. And I really appreciate you ch to chatting with me on this one. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Anytime. Anytime. Um, our next episode which I, I don't have an exact date for it yet, but it will be episode 200. I'm very proud of this. I'm very, I'm very excited. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not like it's our 200th podcast because we've done lots of interviews and that, but it's our 200th Screenfish Radio. I remember the first one we ever did was for Age of Ultron and we didn't know if it was going to last 10 episodes. And, uh, and here we are, 200. So... Um, and for episode 200, we're going to, we're going to switch things up a little bit and we're going to talk about legacy Batman films, <laughs> Batman oh, wow. from the nineties, uh, with some friends of the podcast. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one. Um, but, uh, as always, you can find us wherever podcasts are available. Uh, you can you know find us on Apple, Google, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever you want to look for us. Look up Screenfish, you will find us. Uh, if you you can find us on YouTube, like and subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you go to the podcast page at Screenfish.net, you can download Fishing for More, which are some small group questions to help you get the conversation started where you are. Uh, Shay, Chris, thank you once again. And for you at home, we started the conversation. This was. Screenfish.